Good morning, everyone. My name is Ryan Noah, and I'm very pleased that the session has asked me to uh, teach in our ongoing uh, First John series. And uh, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles. Uh, if you're using the Pew Bibles, uh, this will be found on page 1021. A reading from First John. Before we read from God's Word, let's ask His blessing upon our study and, and the reading and prayer. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we do thank You for Your Word. We confess, O oh Lord, that we are in need of the nourishment from above that comes from our Savior, Jesus Christ. For, Father, we could not withstand the wiles of the enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil, apart from your grace and the power of your Spirit. And so we pray now, Father, that you would build us up in faith in Christ through the reading and the teaching of your word. Let us grow in grace, we pray, all to the praise of your glorious grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Pardon me for my voice. I've been struggling with a cold, uh, and there'll be much opportunity for uh, participation, so I, I trust you'll indulge me. Let's hear now from God's Word, uh, beginning at 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. This is God's Word. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who de denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. As far as reading from God's word, may he add his blessing to our meditation upon it. In the previous section uh, that Reverend Busey opened up for us this past Lord's Day, the Apostle John warned against worldliness. He said in chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. And he gave in verse 17 a great promise that though the world and its desires are passing away, the one who does the will of God abides forever. That 
concept of abiding is going to loom large in our passage here. As the Apostle John is going to give comforting words to the congregations in and around Ephesus regarding how to abide in Christ when antichrists abound. If I could boil this passage down to a single theme, it would be this. Deniers depart, but the anointed abide. John loves stark contrasts, love and hate, light and dark. And here the contrast is between those who deny Christ and those who confess Christ. Let's begin with verse 18. John opens up again with a a familiar and a, a tender pastoral greeting that we've heard before. For example, in chapter 2, verse 1, where he's speaking about another difficult subject, the ongoing issue of sin in the life of believers. And he addresses them as children. He says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Let's pause to, to consider this phrase, the last hour. What do you think John means here when he speaks about uh, his readers living in the last hour? Maybe consider other phrases that uh, may call to mind the last hour. For example, the last days or the latter days or the last times. Hank? Mm. 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 Yeah, amen. There's a, and therefore, there's, a, there's an imminency of our Lord's coming. There, there needs to be a vigilance on the part of believers. Um, Calvin, in his commentary, he said something to the effect that we need to remain vigilant. And he warns them against the Antichrist for the next big thing in redemptive history is but the end, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to consummate his kingdom, to destroy all of his foes. Any other thoughts about the last hour? Yeah, thank you, Alice. Yeah, you're, you're reminding me of the first couple verses in Hebrews where we read that uh, long ago and in many ways, I'm paraphrasing, God spoke to us by, by his prophets. But he says in verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. And indeed, with the coming of Christ, all the promises of God are, are yes and amen in him. He's come and he's, he's brought the long-awaited kingdom. He's brought the the forgiveness of sins that was uh, held forth to God's people in in Old Testament types and and shadows and sacrifices. 
And now what awaits is his glorious coming again on the clouds. It's indeed, as Paul said to the Corinthians, we are the ones on whom the end of the ages has come. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. And as a sign that these last days or this last hour has indeed come, John says that antichrists are now here. John tells his readers that they have heard that antichrist, singular, is coming. This is quite interesting because the only instances of this word antichrist appear in John's epistles. It's there four times. But where might, aside from, you know, apocalyptic Jewish literature of the day, where might John's readers have heard of an antichrist figure in the scriptures before? Not the word, but of the the figure. Yes, Ruth? Yeah, indeed, yeah, in the book of Daniel. Um, Consider uh, the the, the little horn that's spoken of in Daniel chapter 7, speaking great things, making war against the saints. Or Daniel chapter 9 with the the abomination of desolation. Daniel chapter 11, that that king who um, appears to have had uh, an echo in Antiochus Epiphanes, even in the, uh, the Hasmonean era in the Maccabees. Right? Daniel, certainly. Any other places? Have you heard of the, the man of sin? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul writes of, of one who would set himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. This would happen at the very end of the age, and he would be destroyed by, I believe it says, the breath of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself prophesied that there would come false Christs and false prophets. He warns his disciples of them in Matthew chapter 24. Indeed, it's probably best to understand the Antichrist as, as a figure who would come at the the end of the age, perhaps lead many astray only to be destroyed at the coming of Christ. Others understand the Antichrist to be um, the personification of of a spirit or a principle of apostasy and unbelief and and heresy. I would uh, commend to, well, I'll I'll mention as well in our own tradition, do any of you know what the Westminster Standards, the, in the original 1646, whom do they designate as the Antichrist? Yeah, the Pope of Rome. That man of sin. And uh, while speaking off the cuff, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that they have taken that out, but I think we do well to recognize the Pope in his office as one who sets himself in place of God and has perverted the faith as an antichrist. Uh, I'll leave you to consider those things. If you have any questions about that, please ask. But it wouldn't be me if I didn't offer you a, a book recommendation. This is a really fine book if you want a, a robustly reformed and, and um, 
and Biblical Treatment of the Antichrist by Dr. Kim Riddlebarger, who is a minister in the United Reformed Churches of North America. And he ministers, uh, he did out in California. This is a fine book called uh, The Man of Sin, Uncovering the Truth About the Antichrist. Any thoughts or or concerns about the Antichrist? We could go down this rabbit hole uh, for a long time. Um, But really, it's, yeah, go ahead, brother. It would seem that throughout, um, throughout even the biblical history, that there are various forerunners of a capital A Antichrist, if you will. I mentioned uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, who um, who desecrated uh, the temple and sacrificed pigs upon the altar um, around I believe 160 BC or so uh, in the Maccabean era. Um, we might think of as well the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. Our, our Lord speaking about that as a, um, an instance of the abomination of desolation. And here, I'm, I'm, a lot of people have a lot of different views on these matters. Um, but I think that, that what he's getting at is that those who set themselves in place of God or decidedly against God his, and his Christ uh, bear... They bear the mark or the spirit or the family resemblance of whatever incarnation of the evil one is yet to come at at a heightened period of rebellion and apostasy. So I I understand them to be be forerunners of um, an antichrist to come. Uh, uh, Why don't we move on because John is more concerned with the many antichrists who have now come. So let's look a bit at what he says in his epistles about these heretics. I mean, I have a couple of volunteers to read a few passages from the epistles of John. First uh, John two verse twenty-two. Volunteer Hank. First uh, John four three. Scott and Second John seven. Thanks, Derek. Go ahead, Hank. First John 2, verse 20, uh, yeah, 22. Mm-hmm. Who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Yes, Scott. First John 4, 3. Uh, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which was first with him, and now and Derek. In Second John, verse seven, if any deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is a deceiver and an antichrist. Hmm. 
What common themes do you hear in these verses regarding the, the spirit of Antichrist and those who have even already come? Mm. Yeah, they, they all reject Christ. Yeah. Any specifics we might, uh, we might attach to that rejection, its character or content? Derek? Mm. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why, especially First John four three, many think that the uh, the nature of the heresy here that John is addressing in these churches is uh, a form of Gnosticism or proto Gnosticism, in which. Uh, the created world and matter itself is is lesser and is even evil, while things that are spiritual are treasured and are of God. Therefore, to them, the the divine Christ taking to himself a human nature, a reasonable soul, and that the two natures of Christ would be inseparably joined in one person forever, it's anathema to them. They hate that Jesus the only real one. They preach a, a form of a, a Christological heresy, if you will. And one other common thread I, I see here is that they seek to deceive the saints. They're not content to uh, live on their own and, and uh, have these views, but they would desire to devour the sheep. Let me ask you a question. Do we still live in the last hour, nearly 2,000 years later? I see a few nods. Are there antichrists in our age that we... Are there any, are there any examples? I mean, even John here is not, uh, not looking to point at one single individual, but where, where do we see the spirit of antichrist uh, in, in a peculiar or, or acute way uh, in our present day. Mm. 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 Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Bonnie. Yes, Reverend Bosgraf. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I think we especially see that in our, in our passage as well when we consider the fact that these antichrists went out from the church. They were members of the visible church and partook of the, the oracles and the ministry of, of God. Probably even professed faith in Christ. Received the sacrament. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. 
This is a, a call to us even now, therefore, to, to guard our faith against deception, to remain vigilant, to constantly be going back to the Word and asking for the Spirit to illumine our minds and to, to build us up in faith in Christ, that we would guard that good deposit that we've received, that faith once for all delivered unto the saints. In the next verse, John brings the need to be vigilant and to abide in Christ very close to home. He speaks of particular antichrists that have left the church, the church or the churches in the region of Ephesus where John would have ministered. He says in verse 19, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. What does John mean by saying that these people who went out, who did not abide, who did not remain, what does he mean that they were not of us? Yes, sir. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, amen. Yeah, we ought, not, um, we ought not think that John's just saying about anyone who leaves a, even a faithful congregation, well, there, there go the Antichrists. No. It's that they've departed from Christ and the foundation laid once for all in the apostolic teaching. Any other thoughts on, on what it means that they, went, they were not of us? Were they true? Oh, go ahead, Derek. Have you ever heard the, uh, the idiom to show one's true colors? The fact that they've left the body of Christ has revealed, has shown their true colors. That they were painted with the, the family resemblance of Cain and the evil one. And not that of the triune God. One commentator, I think, put it, put it helpfully. Uh, I believe it was O'Donnell in his commentary, Reformed Expository Commentary, he said, this is not a case of sheep going to another congregation or, or perhaps being deceived for a time and going out on their own. He said, these things, these things should grieve us as, as it would if anyone leaves a, a faithful congregation. He said, this is an instance of wolves departing with other wolves. Wolves departing with wolves. But how can you tell a true believer? We've seen this before. John loves to to give what some have called tests in his epistles. Tests of love, tests of obedience. How can you tell a true believer in this context? Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, true believers confess Christ. And that profession is not only one that lasts for a season, but one that takes us all the way to glory. For true believers remain or abide. That's a big word in this passage. And we'll, we'll unpack it a bit in a moment. But I, I understand it to mean not only remaining in the body, but persevering to the end in Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, a bit more insidious, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. these are deceivers indeed. John is going to, in these next couple verses, give those who have stayed, those who are in Christ, the assurance that they do know Him. They know their Savior, the one who has come in the flesh, who is the propitiation for their sins, the one in whom... They have fellowship with the Father and Son, yea, even eternal life. And he's going to encourage them to abide. We read in verse 20, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. What does it mean to be anointed? What, what instances of anointing do we read of in the Scriptures? Thank you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, priests are anointed, kings, even even some prophets were anointed. Ed? I think in this context, he's talking about anointing the presence of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah. 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 Indeed. Indeed. Um, can you think of any passages in Scripture where uh, the. Yeah. Yeah, Luke chapter uh, Luke chapter f- uh, three, verses verse twenty one or so, we read that when our Lord was baptized, the Holy Holy Spirit descended and rested upon him uh, as a dove. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there we read in the latter days, what did God do? But pour out His Spirit, pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. John tells his readers that like Christ, who is anointed, as, our, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, by God the Father, or ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to say his anointing is to be our prophet and priest and king. So too believers share in his anointing. I want to read a, uh, a section again from the Heidelberg Catechism that I think is such a beautiful question and answer. It follows question and answer 31, which asks, why is Christ called the anointed one? We know that that Christ means Messiah. 
anointed one. And then in 32 it asks, But why are you called a Christian? Answer, Because by faith I am a member of Christ, and so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess his name, prophet, to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, priest, to strive with a free conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for eternity. We share in his kingly anointing as well. And as a part of this anointing, John says in verse 20, that we have all knowledge. The Greek literally says, you know all things, or could be translated, you all know, as we read in the uh, NASB. In any event, his point here with regard to all knowledge is not to suggest that we have exhaustive knowledge, but rather we have wholly sufficient knowledge pertaining to the basic truths of the gospel and of our Savior, Jesus Christ, those whom the heretics were denying. This is what he says in verse 21. He says, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Why do you think, brothers and sisters, that it's helpful for John to remind his readers what they already know? He says, you already know this. That's why I'm writing to you. Of what use is that? Amen. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, they, the Gnostics uh, loved secret knowledge. One had to be an elite to attain the fullness that Reverend Busey talked to us about in his preaching series on Colossians. He says, sorry, not... Right. Right. No, he says there's no need. You know the truth. Why do we need to be reminded of the truth that we already know today? Any thoughts? Penny? Hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah, we're, we're prone to wander. Prone to forget. Prone to leave the Lord that we, we love. Eddie, you had a thought? Yeah, amen. We're we're assaulted on all sides. Mm. Mm. 
Amen. And yet some of these are so simple, aren't they? I mean, we have, we have folks who, um, you know, are, are legally murdering babies. Others are um, having, having physicians remove their sexual organs. But dear brothers and sisters, we know with the faith of a child that these things go against the commands of God. That men and women are created in his image to glorify and enjoy him forever. We don't need to be taught these things. We know them because we know our Savior and we have heard the voice of our shepherd speaking in Scripture. And yet when we're assaulted by the world, the flesh, and the devil and made to feel like pariahs because we will not glory in the shame of this culture, we need a shepherd to tell us, hey, you know this. You know your Savior. You know his word. This is a lie and you know it. Take courage. Take courage. Brother. Amen. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to find ourselves totally at odds with the world. It can be lonely, isolating, to be diametrically opposed to that which neighbors and even, even friends, as Reverend Busey has told us, would espouse. And yet, there's no fellowship of light and darkness. They can't share the same space. They're diametrically opposed. In verses 22 and 23, John boldly calls out the liar. He writes, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. We spoke a a little bit about what it means to deny that Jesus is the Christ. Particularly here, it would appear that um, heretics are denying that God the Son has come in the flesh. There was an early Gnostic heresy which said that, well, God, uh, at at the baptism of our Lord, uh, he empowered this man, Jesus of Nazareth, for a while. But then he left him again at his suffering. God never became man. And they say, no. John says, I, I was with him from the beginning. I heard him. I saw him. 
I touched him. First John uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. What's the result of denying Christ? In terms of your relationship with God. Yeah. You don't have the Father. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, if the Father has sent the Son to be the propitiation for our sins, to reconcile us to God. If you don't have the Son, if you don't have the Christ, you lose the gospel. It's a zero. No one comes to the Father but through me. I and the Father are one. I am the truth, the way, and the life. He is the only mediator between God and man. There is no other. Only one name under heaven by which men shall be saved. This is our Savior. This is the Christ. What does John mean in saying, we spoke a little bit about, that we, that we have the Father? It's kind of an interesting way to, to put it. Have the Father. We spoke a bit about the, the blessing of forgiveness, right? Being able to be in his presence, unashamed. Right, Scott? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Having the Father is is knowing Him, is being in fellowship with Him, is having union and communion with Him through the Son. And that that is eternal life. Abundant joy in the presence of God. Yes. I mean, that's why, you know, when I don't want to I don't want to slander the man because I'm, I'm not quite sure. But I, I'm pretty sure in in past years, even the, the pope has said something like, well, Muslims and Jews and Christians all worship the same God. Really? You mean God can be something other than Father, Son and Holy Spirit? That's something Antichrist would say. John continues in verse 24. He begins emphatically in the Greek. He says, you, or but you, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. What have John's readers heard from the beginning? Back in chapter 2, verse 7, he spoke about the the commandment to to love one another. What do you think he's speaking about here? But that might even be included. Seems that he's speaking about the gospel, the word of Christ, 
as, as our brother put it a moment ago, the, the apostolic testimony of Christ, taught by the Spirit and given through the apostles. This is the message that John himself heard and proclaimed to his hearers, as he says in that, those very first verses of this epistle. It's as if he's saying to the believers there what our Lord says to the church in Philadelphia in one of his letters to the churches in Revelation. Hold fast to what you have. Guard the gospel as your great treasure. As our brother Don Anjay is is fond of saying, guard the treasure of the gospel, the pearl of great price. John is speaking about abiding. He said, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Where have we heard of the language of abiding in the gospel of John? It's used a ton of times in one particular passage. Yes, Ed. Mm. Yes, indeed. Lynn, you, you had something to add? That was it? Yeah. Oh, go ahead, brother. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Amen. John chapter 15, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. What does this teach us about, uh, or in light of that, what does this teach us about the role of the, the word of God? Um, in, in our relation to Christ. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, amen. The word made flesh. Our Lord says, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? We can't forsake what we've heard from the beginning, that which abides in us, the word of God, which the Spirit uses to to make us more like Christ. We cannot forsake that word if we are to remain in Christ and abide in him. We need it. It's vital to our, our very life as Christians. I'll speed up. We just have a couple more minutes John comes to a conclusion of what he's been saying about abiding in the truth in the face of error in verse 26. He says again, speaking of the liar, the Antichrist, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And then in verse 27, he reapplies the great comfort of the Holy Spirit. He says, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. This verse is packed with rich truths about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. What do you, what do you hear here about the role of the Spirit in the life of the Christian? 
understanding as we did in verse uh, 20 that the anointing we've received is, is the Holy Spirit. Amen. He's sufficient to take us to the the end, to keep us in Christ. Any other thoughts? Yes, Ruth. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, amen. At the end of the day, the gospel is really not rocket science. God has spoken clearly to us, and the Spirit is given, as Jesus tells us again and again in his high priestly prayer, to be our advocate and our comforter, to teach us Christ, to teach us to obey everything that he has commanded us, to teach us about him, to foster and cultivate our love for him and our obedience to him. We don't need secret knowledge. We need, you know, ministers and elders and others to to teach us the word this passage isn't saying that well you have no need for anyone to teach you that's foolishness for john himself is is instructing his readers here is he not but the spirit and the word are sufficient for the church to be made more like christ and to be prepared for eternal glory the triune god is sufficient for us Any closing thoughts on on this passage or or how we might apply it to our lives before we close in prayer? Oh, my theme was deniers depart, the anointed abide. Another another person had something um, along the same lines and said, Deniers deceive, believers belong. That was another one. I like believers belong. But I thought anointing, you know, is, is more in the passage. Well, brothers and sisters, let's, let's pray that God would uh, apply this word of comfort to our hearts. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have not spoken to us in riddles or puzzles, but you have spoken to us clearly through your Son, and through holy men whom the Holy Spirit has carried along to breathe out your very word to us in the pages of Scripture. Father, we bless you and we praise your name for though you have hidden these things from the wise of this world, you have given us ears to receive them as your own children and dwelt by your Spirit. Father, we thank you indeed for your Spirit for he helps us to abide in Christ. Indeed, apart from him, we can do nothing and we can bear no fruit. And so, Father, we ask that you would apply this word, indeed the whole word, the whole testimony of Scripture, continually to our hearts, that we would be made more and more like our Savior, the one who is soon coming on the clouds to redeem his people and to judge his foes. 
Let it be so, we pray, O Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen.